0: If you want to turn to Mark chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 4, we've been in a series the last couple of weeks, um, the kingdom come, his reign in our lives. Just looking together at a couple of chapters in Mark, Mark chapter 3 through 5, and looking at the good news of the gospel and how it impacts our lives. And Mark has been challenging uh, the reader, if you will, to question and wrestle with who is Jesus? Jesus. And we don't get the luxury. You don't get the luxury of just sitting on the sidelines or sitting on the fence about Jesus. There's no kind of like, I think he's cool, but I'm just going to sit over here. You either take him for who he is and you walk with him and he is your king and he is your leader. He is the, the person with which you give your whole lives to or he is not. We don't get the luxury of just couldn't sit in on the fence. And and today we're going to wrestle with that even further as Jesus continues to challenge. And in these chapters, three through five, he's revealing these powerful actions and teachings about his kingdom, but not just some obscure thought about his kingdom, but how his kingdom impacts our actual everyday lives. And as we are Uh, Opening up the word today, uh, it was reminiscent of me of just what I do every Sunday in this room with each one of you. Have you ever wondered or considered uh, how a communicator, maybe you've been to, uh, or you've listened to a TED talk, or you've listened to someone who's an inspirational communicator, whatever it might be, it doesn't even have to be in this room. You ever uh, thought about how a communicator can share something to a crowd of people, and some people are profoundly moved, it hits them square in the heart, and then they might be crying, moved with emotion, and then you have other people who aren't moved at all. There's no feeling, there's no adjustment, there's no, nothing in their lives that changes. They're not inspired to anything. Maybe it's a movie. One person can watch a movie and they're like, oh my word, that was so moving. And another person, it just does no impact on them, no impact on their lives. I think about that because every Sunday, that's what I do in this room. Every Sunday... I share, or pastors all over the world share, truth from God's word in gatherings as people are all present here. And man, it happens just like that right here. Some people, as the word of God is opened, are, are, are moved. They, they, they hear the word of God, they're accepted of it, of it. They're, they're challenged by it, right? But then others, it has no impact. For one person, they see and they hear the challenge and the calling and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it moves them. But then other people, they either get upset, they make excuses with their lives, they're busy playing on their phones while the pastor is sharing, or ultimately they just reject the invitation that God has for them by the Word of God. It's unbelievable how that can happen in one room, the same message, the same Word of God, but it moves radically different in Different people's lives same teaching different people same seed different soils some have ears to hear and receive a blessing others don't they reject it maybe not openly reject it it's not like people you're sitting here today or people watching online you're like I reject everything Jim is saying but maybe there's different things in your own heart that are not allowing the Word of God to take root and bear fruit in your own heart in your life. And this is this is really exactly what we're going to talk about today. In Mark chapter four, this is one of my favorite parables in all of scripture, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's probably the most famous of all the parables. In in all of it, it's in three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and it's the only parable in all of scripture where Jesus actually gives an interpretation of what the parable means. All of the parables, he just shares it, and it's open to your reading of it to digest it and make it, work in your heart and your life. Not that there's more than one meaning, but here Jesus gives a very specific meaning here. Now, if you look at Mark chapter 4, you will probably read in your Bible, and you've probably heard, this is the parable of the sower. And I think that's completely wrong. This isn't the parable of the sower, right? If you look at the heading in your Bible, I guarantee you it probably says parable of The sower i'll just give you this at the top of each section of your bible where it breaks it up those are not inerrant scripture those are added there as help it's not a bad thing but sometimes those headings can be misunderstanding or misguide us in the reading of the word so at the top of the heading i read the parable of the sower all of my attention immediately is on the sower now and the seed rather than the soil to which it's landing now, against many popular interpretations, this parable is way 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 less about the seed and the scattering of it and more about the where it lands and, and the disposition of one's heart in which it lands. It's not about failure to cast seed. It's not about sharing the gospel with people. It's literally about a a warning not to fail in hearing and responding to the gospel and the word of God and the different things that are hindrances in our hearts, the soil in hearing the word of God and making much of it. And it talks about four different soils, talking about the four different potential conditions of one's heart. And at the end of the parable, before he gives the interpretation, we'll read about it. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And we'll come back to this at the end. But not everyone had ears. Some of them didn't understand it. Even the disciples themselves didn't understand it. If you read with me in verse eleven, it says, "To you has been given," because they, they come to Jesus and they're like, "Hey, we don't understand. What in the world did you say about seed and soil and casting it? We don't get it." And he says, "To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God." In verse eleven, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand. Less they should turn and be forgiven that sounds counterintuitive to what is happening or what jesus wants to happen he literally says i'm teaching in parables so that they can hear but not listen so that they can see and not perceive so that he says lest they actually hear and change their life it's interesting really most people believe that this is the interpretation of what parables are intended for and you get into a little bit more, further light is given in Mark, in a parallel passage, or excuse me, of Mark in Matthew 13, which it references Isaiah 6, and that's what Jesus is quoting here in this part, is Isaiah chapter 6, where it says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So so what is Jesus doing here? In essence, this is a way of Jesus saying that the condition of one's heart determines whether there is any receptivity of the truth. He's saying the condition of your heart will produce either action or not. And what the context is, is that many people, especially the religious leaders of their time, had heard the straightforward teaching of Jesus that they had rejected and thus ultimately the truth would be taken away from them. So. Parables were a way of dividing the group. Those who had ears to hear, a heart that was good, like good soil, we'll get there in a moment they heard it, and it was truthful, and it changed their lives. To those who had hard hearts, it was actually a way of even judgment to them that they could not hear, because their heart was hard. Their, their heart was hard towards Jesus and what he was teaching. You see, parables are this way of indirect. Communication to allow people to see and experience something that they might not have otherwise experienced or even heard in a way that they did. And when Jesus is teaching here, those that don't understand the truth, don't perceive it, don't take it in, it's because of a hard heart towards the teachings of Jesus. And it's actually a form of judgment to them that they have not ears to hear the word of God. And so this parable, as we look at it, is about the soil of your heart. And so I just want you to, from the very beginning to consider the soil of your soul and what it responds to Jesus. This is what I want you to see. We'll come back to it again at the end is that Jesus' reign, that's what we're looking at in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' reign is accomplished through the response to his word. The way in which the kingdom of God moves forward is how People respond to his word and take him as a, at his word and their lives are transformed and changed because of it. So I just start by today before we even get into the parable and just ask you this, what is your heart towards Jesus' word? Well, What naturally happens on a week-in and week-out basis when I stand up here and I share the word of God, or Pastor Alex last week shares the word of God, what is your response? How does your heart respond to the word of God? Hopefully, you're opening the word of God on your own daily or throughout the week. What is your response when the word of God reveals itself to you on a Monday morning or a Tuesday evening or a Wednesday at lunch break? What is your natural response of your heart when, 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 when you're in a Bible study that you might have signed up for last week or you're going to sign up for this week with, with other men or women or whomever and someone is sharing and you're wrestling together with the Word of God? What is your natural conditioned response from the soil of your heart to the Word of God? That's what I want you to wrestle with. Because it has not just personal implications for your life it has kingdom movement implications because the way in which the reign of Jesus continues to move forward in our area in our church in our surrounding world is our response to the word of God and the people you see every day is a response to the word of God if no one responds then how will the kingdom of God move forward and so we're just going to look at four soils and each one of them is a heart maybe it's your heart today so look with me in chapter 1 as we see the hard heart. Look with me, and we're going to jump down. We're going to read, there's, there's, there's the parable and then Jesus' interpretation to the parable. So we're going to read those two texts. So this is, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to read verse 15 because it's the interpretation of verses 1 through 4. Read it together with me. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teachings he said to them listen a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it you jump down to verse 15 Jesus interpretation of this path and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes it away, takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first, I would say, is a hard heart, hard soil of the heart. Jesus' day has been quite a doozy at this point. If you read Mark, he's had a long day. He's been falsely accused of being possessed by a demon. His mother's, his mother's, he only has one. His mother. And brothers have come to try and forcibly take him because he's crazy. And even he stands now at the the water's edge, has to get into a boat because there's such a great crowd wanting to hear from him and hear his teaching. And the crowd is, is so great that Jesus has to get in this boat and he's there about to teach. And as he normally does, his normal style of teaching is that he says that he taught them many things in parables. And one of those parables was the parable of the soil. And the parable is super straightforward. It's actually not hard to interpret because Jesus gives us the interpretation. That's one of the blessings of this parable. He gives us a straightforward interpretation. And all we know is that seed is sown out that it might grow. We don't know if it's a farmer. We don't know if the landowner, he's the landowner of the property. We don't know any of that. This is just free. If you're reading parables, do not read too much into them. If it was important, it would be in the parable. So it doesn't matter who owns it. It doesn't matter if it's the farmer or not. What is in there is what Jesus wanted us to know. And that's what we're reading. So there's there's a sower and he's sowing some seed. That's all we know. And Jesus tells about a bunch of seed, or soil, excuse me, the path, rocky, thorny, and then good soil, which we'll get to those in a moment, but the first one is the path. And as he's going out to sow seed, some falls on the path. And it says that the, the before it could take root or do anything, birds come and they devour it, right? And so farmers in ancient Palestine weren't like us. Like when you're driving, last yesterday I was up in the thumb of Michigan. and there's just cornfields and, and bean fields and carrot fields, all these different things. And it's beautiful. I mean, the soil is dark and rich and beautiful. And I don't know if I can see a stone in it, right? And it's just wonderful. That's not what we're talking about here. If you've ever been to Palestine, about 10 years ago I was there, and I learned this. As you're walking up these different places, there's, there's just lots of different stuff there. It's not perfect and clean cut. And so a, a farmer or whoever was there casting seed would have been walking along the path probably and casting seed out of a bag, and seed's going to fall all over the place. And some of it, it says, fell on the path, and this path Would have been literally beaten hard, maybe as pavement, by the feet and the hooves and the wheels of those that used it every single day. And in verse 15, Jesus gives us the interpretation. Well, who are the people? Where it falls on the path of their heart. Well, the path represents someone who hears the word, but their heart is so hard, and it's so well-worn or beaten down from heavy use that quickly... The Word of God is unable to take root in the person's heart and the bird, the devil, comes and snatches the truth away. And as a result, those with a hard heart, it just bounces off of their heart. What's fascinating is there may not be any gross sin and may not be into crazy things. They might not be completely living unholy lives. They might be people that sit in church every Sunday and they might be you. They might be a person next to you and they're here every single week and they hear the word of God and the, the, the word of God hits their heart every single week but their heart is hard so that it just bounces off their heart and quickly, maybe even in the service right now, the, the devil comes and he steals away the truth because their heart isn't softened enough that the the Word of God can take root. They're just maybe just not interested in the things of God. Might be interested in religiosity, coming to church, giving money, feeling good about themselves, but they're not about the things of God. This summer, My family and I like to do a bunch of hiking. We were in the Rocky Mountain National Park and hiking in a bunch of other places, and I'm always fascinated how you can get so far back into wilderness, and there is just a path through. I'm always wondering, like, how long did it take someone to walk on this path, to make this path through the wilderness that nothing grows there? It's just a hard, well-worn path. And even now, I'm reminded, I mean, it's it's years, it's hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of people that walk on it and, and... pack it down and it's long time. It didn't happen overnight. It's not like one person walked through the wilderness and man it was it was like that. No, it took a long time. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of traffic. It took a lot of people. So it is with your hard heart If it's hard So it is with those who have a hard heart It didn't happen overnight It's someone who may Through the, the covering of time uh, Being a Christian Maybe even for a long period of time And hearing the same thing Come out of my mouth Or other pastors mouth Over time and, time and time and time and time That your heart gets worn down To the things of God Where you sink into Just a normative Christianity Where I show up on Sunday Nothing happens throughout the week And when I hear the word of God man, it just bounces off because I'm distracted by what I'm looking at on Twitter or Instagram on my phone because I just want to be here because it's what I've been doing my entire life. Or you could be sitting here visiting with a friend or online and you're not a believer at all and you've heard the truth of the gospel but your heart is packed down, beaten down so that nothing can penetrate it and you just refuse to believe the goodness of Jesus. You felt the calling of the Spirit of God over and over again, but you've rejected it over and over again. And your heart is hard towards the things of God. Can I tell you today, whether you're the believer here or the unbeliever, you need the supernatural, plowing of the holy spirit to till up the soil of your heart to break up maybe damage that that has been done to you by the church in the past or someone you know or or you hold it over god's head maybe you need the holy spirit to 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 till up the soil of disappointment in your own heart that has made it hard and over and over and over and over again disappointment has hit you and now you're hard your, your heart is hard towards the Lord, or maybe it, it's just distraction. You've been so distracted by the things all around you that your heart, and it's just another week where Jim says something, and my heart is really hard towards the things of God. When's the last time that the preaching of God's word on a Sunday morning in this room were you wrecked by the word of God? Not by Jim, not by Alex, Not by Pastor Chris, not by a worship song, but by the word of God that you were racked to where you said, man, I gotta make some radical changes in my life. If it's been a really, really, really long time, I'll tell you right now, you have some form of a hard heart towards the word of God because everything I read in the word of God is it's transformational weekly, monthly, daily, not every five years. The word of God should be tilling the soil of our hearts Well, not only that, in verse 5, if you look, there's a shallow heart. Not a hard heart, but a shallow heart. Other seed, he says, fell on rocky soil, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jump down to verse 16 and 17, the interpretation, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away this is what we call a shallow heart see the second Soil the seed falls on is in rocky soil, what it calls what it calls rocky soil in the text, and it says that the seed grows, but it eventually over a little bit of time withers away because there 's no moisture in i don 't know if you 've ever seen thin soil or rocky soil there 's not a lot of moisture that can be held there, and so it has no ability to hold moisture because the roots are just on rocky soil, and because of that, this is a shallow only rocks would be there, and, and there 's no soil in order for it to actually flourish and in Areas where they would have been sowing in Palestine, there's not, again, like we said, wide open fields, and there's different areas where there's flat ground, but there's no perfect soil, and they would cast seed in different areas, and it would fall in these areas, and, and there would be limestone just a little bit underneath the soil so there wasn't depth, or there was stones around, and, man, it wouldn't make it. It would just be there for a little while and then the sun would come out and with the sun and a small plant just growing, there wasn't enough moisture to provide enough in the heat of the sun and so it would wither away. So Jesus' interpretation, this rocky soil, I love that it says, we'll come back to this in a moment, but received it initially with joy. This is fascinating. They, they received the word of God with joy. They feel like they got it all together. They had this emotional experience. Man, they're just feeling it. There's no growth. They're unable to take root. They initially sprout, but he says the trials and tribulations that come into their lives, they can't make it. So they wither away. As I was preparing for this message, um, I read someone who wrote about this. I think it's, it's right on the nose of what Jesus is saying here. It says this, there is nothing more cheering than, transform, than, than transformed Christian people. And there is nothing more (laughs) disintegrating than people who have been merely brushed by Christianity, people who have been sown with a thousand seeds but in whose lives there is no depth and no rootage. Therefore, they fall when the first whirlwind comes along. It it, it is a half-Christian who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because there's dry, Intentionality and their superficial emotionalism does not stand the test. So, even that which their superficial emotional, excuse me, so that even which they think they have is taken away from them. This is the wood from which an anti Christian two are cut. There are almost always former half Christians. A person who lets Jesus only halfway into their heart is far poorer than 100% worldly. He does not get the peace that passes all understanding and he also loses the world's peace because his na- naivete has been taken away from him. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, man, it would be better if someone didn't come in halfway with Jesus but was more in the world because they've come in and they've experienced some of the Lord but they've fallen away. And he says, this is almost always, and I cannot agree more, where anti-Christian people that actually hate Christianity or are against it or are out there trying to stop all that you're doing are almost always people who have experienced some form of Jesus and gotten some sort of trauma, brokenness, or catastrophe in life, and they blame God. Almost always. Because they experience some of Jesus. And then the first trouble that comes in their life. How many people have I seen in the church do this Radically, they come to know Jesus. Maybe at a men's retreat or in church or someone led them to the Lord. And then they're on fire for the Lord. They experience this emotional, amazing experience. And then as quickly as they got on fire for the Lord, they are walking away from the Lord. I've seen it many times in my ministry. Because the roots of the gospel didn't permeate their heart and their life. And the uh, the first tribulation or trouble they have they don't have the roots of following Jesus, and they turn their back on God and run the other direction. And like I said before, oftentimes, the trauma they experienced, or the brokenness God asked them to walk through, or the the report from the doctor they got they didn't like, they blame it on God or the church. Man, if I could just look at you today, if there's people in this room that are struggling, in their faith because what God is allowing them to walk through or experience in their life, don't let that take root in your heart and your soul. God is so good that he didn't even save his own son from tribulation but let him get murdered on a cross for our sake. In this world we will have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. You are going out as lambs to the slaughter in the name of Jesus. If he suffered, how much more will we suffer in life as we suffer in his name and for his sake? May we be people, maybe you are today, again, you need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God to woo you back to him. And maybe for you is just to acknowledge that before the Lord today and say, Lord, man, I, I, I loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I can't believe you did that. And just acknowledge it today. Maybe meet with me or Alex or someone you know and express that and walk through that together. Maybe you have a shallow soul or heart that, man, there's roots of the gospel there, but in the first season of brokenness, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and a season of brokenness has allowed you to walk through that, and there is brokenness there that won't let you grow in Jesus' name. Well, he goes on in verse 7. It says, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. In verse 18 and 19, it gives the interpretation. And others are the ones sown in the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter it and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the thorny ground. This is what I'm calling a distracted heart. This is maybe one that more in this room need to pay attention to, myself included, than any other of the soils, because I think we have a, 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 whole, a whole church in America that is living with a distracted heart. There is many people that are living in this soil, in this room, I promise you right now. He says this is a, a soil among the thorns… Right? He says it finds an initial root, some growth, but eventually choked out because of the thorns that are growing all around it, and therefore it doesn't produce anything. Because, man, if you've ever had a garden, your garden doesn't do well enough when, when you have soil and, and you're growing something and you allow everything else to grow around it. And it says that the thorns here choke it because there's not enough room for both of them to flourish, right? Right? He says their 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 faith is actually choked out; it is growing out around around them. And seemingly, I mean, this is this is it. Seemingly, it seems like man, they got it all together. But what does it say? This is where you need to pay attention. This is where I need to pay attention. Right here, it says because of what the cares of this world, the riches of this world, the desires of the world says that they choke out the word. The parallel of this passage in uh, Luke says that there is even initial fruit. It says, but their fruit does not mature because it's choked out by the thorns. What are the thorns? The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. Their loyalties are distracted. They're trying to, and we have a whole generation of Christians that are trying to serve Jesus and serve the things of this world. Serve Jesus and love the things of this world. Serve Jesus and add something in, I'll tell you right now, Jesus is not something you sprinkle on top of what you do. Jesus is not something you fit into your economy. Jesus is not something that, man, all right, I've made it to this point in my success, Lord, and I've used all of my resources and my finances for myself and my family to get to this place. Now, Lord, I'll give you some of it. No, it's, it's, it's not like that. That's why I said we don't get to sit on the fence and just watch and see where we want to land. No, Jesus calls us to something much greater than that. He says, man, the initial heart moves towards Christ, but the cares of the world choke it out. It's reminiscent of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I just find it fascinating that that's the one he points to. And I will just tell you, in the in the culture we live in, in the in the even the successful country we live in, whatever your thoughts are, that the god of mammon, money, and stuff, and distractions that come with it, the desires of this world are choking out the faith of many, many believers. How many times have you seen this happen? Have I seen this happen? Not just even finances or someone you love. They seemingly love the Lord, but they're pulled away from following Jesus because they are drawn to the things of this world. There are, I, there are. Tons of people that used to be a vibrant part of this church that are no longer walking with Jesus because they've been drawn away, even with much effort by myself, their small group, and other people in this church that love them, that have been drawn away by the desires of this world. Because they thought they were better. They were choked out and distracted. And it started with just an initial distraction of things they were letting grow up around them, and it was choking out the faith of their heart because the Word of God could not take root because it was choked out by the desires of this world. Is your heart thorny? Is the, sorne, uh, is the soil of your heart distracted? It seemingly produces fruit, but it's choked down by the distraction of the world. This is a divided and distracted heart. And I think we have more in this room, maybe than we even want to acknowledge, myself included, that have a divided or distracted heart. We're trying to serve two masters. We, 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 we love the things of this world, and we're trying to fit Jesus in with all of that. And our faith has been strangled, or it's being strangled out by the cares of the world rather than the word of God which will bring much fruit. And I'll just tell you, one of the things that I wrestle with in a very real way in this parable, and I have before when I took it as a seminary class, and I think it's unbelievable, is one of the things we have to wrestle with is that two of the three soils that, that fail to produce fruit show people that respond positively to the message, even receiving the message with joy. We have to wrestle with that. Two of the soils... That, that, that eventually really are being choked down or, or they're withering away, actually initially receive the word of God with great joy and even produce fruit. you got to wrestle with that. But yeah, there may be people that are responding to the word, but it's superficial. Their joy in the word of God is superficial. The joy in following Jesus is superficial, and they receive the word of God. And, man, the kingdom of God, they, yeah, they're all about it. But then when, when, when it gets down to it, it's not that easy. Man, this parable shows us that the only conversions, and I can't say this loud enough, the only conversions that count in the kingdom of God are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. Conversions in this room, in this church, are not confirmed because I wrote it in my Bible when I was 12 years old. There's nothing wrong with that. Conversions in the kingdom of God are not confirmed because you got baptized last, you know, a few weeks ago in the lake. That's that's biblical and following Jesus. Conversions are not confirmed in the kingdom of God just because you prayed a prayer with a pastor. That's good and that's your way of responding to Jesus. Conversions in the kingdom of God are confirmed by a life of discipleship in persevering throughout your life as a follower of Jesus in following after the word of God. And yes, you have seasons where you fall. You have seasons where you backslide. You have seasons where you love the pleasures of this world. You have seasons where maybe you don't do the right thing all the time. You have seasons of brokenness, that's fine. But in it all, we're following a trajectory of being more and more like Jesus. When I look back five years and ten years, I know, man, I'm persevering in the right direction because Christianity is not confirmed by some random thing we did. It's confirmed through a life of discipleship and following Jesus. This is what he's saying. My conversion is confirmed through I put my faith in Jesus just as James says faith without works is dead. Not that works got my faith but my faith is proved by my works and my life of discipleship. Man if this is you today what does it look like for you to lay down the distractions that are distracting your heart, the pleasure of this world that are hindering you from receiving the word of God and being able to move the kingdom of God forward. And then, lastly, the fertile heart, and I'll only spend a moment here. In Verse 8 and other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. Verse 20, the interpretation but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60. Excuse me, In a hundredfold. Finally, some good news. Thank goodness. The good heart is one that receives the word of God. It's fertile soil. It's ready to receive the word of God and take it as word. It doesn't bounce off. It's not choked down. It's not withering away. No, it's producing much fruit. I told you... At the end of the the, the parable, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. I think this is super important. Most people brush it by. Like, oh, cool, let me hear. But what is Jesus asking for when he says, he who has ears, let him hear? I've shared this with you guys before. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, we have what is known as called the Shema. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this comes... Then directly after this, uh, the, the famous passage in verse 5 that we, we, we know of, the right? To love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind, right? Well, the first word in the text, why we call it the Shema, is in the Hebrew. The word is Shema, right? And it's translated here. "Here, O Israel, Shema, right? Well, here's the thing. Well, the the, the word has a much wider and deeper meaning than simply just perceived sound. It encompasses a whole list of things, right? Ideas of including listening, taking heed, and responding with action. This is key of what is heard. You see, the Hebrew language is a word-poor language. I've said this before. In the Hebrew, uh, a biblical Hebrew, there's about 8,000 words. Do you know how many there are in English? A little over 400,000. So it's a word-poor language. So the word that we have here in Deuteronomy, Shema, is translated here, right? But in many other passages in the Old Testament, in fact, most times you find it, Shema is translated obey. So the same word could be translated here as obey. This is pivotal. See, the natural outcome of hearing and listening is what? responding and doing something. So now you look at it as Jesus is teaching and he says, he who has ears, let him hear to a Jewish crowd. They would have understand it, right? You have heard my teaching, now take it to heart and obey it. He wants his listeners not just to hear, man, it's a really cool parable, that's really good. No, he wants his listeners to say, man, you have ears, he who is hearing it, Do something about it. Take it. Let it have grip in your heart and your soul and change and produce a harvest and and move. Don't let your heart be like the hard soil or the thorny soil or or, or the, the shallow soil. No, let it be like the good soil. And don't just hear it. Let it take root and do something with it. So we just go back to my original question of what I asked you at the beginning. What is your heart towards Jesus' word? The answer to this question is of utmost importance because like I said, Jesus' reign is accomplished through response to his word. And God can't use us to accomplish his kingdom work until his word takes root in our heart and is naturally changing us, renewing our minds as Romans chapter 12 says. And so I want you to wrestle as we sing with that question. What is your response? What is your natural response to the word of God in your heart? And if it's any of those other soils, even a piece of those soils, maybe in this moment as we sing, you could take time just to take a moment, lay those things before the Lord and say, Lord, till the soil of my heart that I might respond appropriately to your word and produce a harvest for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your text, your parable, the teachings of Jesus. And God, may we be faithful in responding correctly. I do not, God, I, I give you, you already know. I don't need to tell you. So many times the word of God hits my heart and I might even feel emotion of it, but then I leave this place or my own time of quiet and I do nothing with it. I don't shema. So Lord, would you press into us? May we not just be hearers of your word, but we would be people that move to action. We'd be people that, Walk in obedience. We'd have good soil of our heart that when the kingdom breaks through into our heart through your word, we move, we respond, and take action. So God, would you just move among us as we sing? It may it not be something we just do like, Oh yeah, we sing one song before we leave. But take time in this moment to contemplate our own heart and soul on how you might be speaking to us and may we be faithful to repent of those things. Repent of the thorns that are distracting us, the things of this world. Repent that our heart is really hard towards you. Repent that, man, God, we're just an inch deep and a mile wide and respond appropriately as we sing as only you call us to in Jesus' name. Amen.